Hi, I'm Emily. Hi, I'm Matt. We're married and we live in Central Florida. And we both really like politics. Every time you get on Facebook, watch the news, or gather around the family table for dinner, you can watch conversations devolve into nasty arguments with name-calling, insult trading, and subsequent unfriending. And while it would be impossible to agree with everyone all the time about everything, we at least thought people should be able to have civil conversations. So that's what this podcast is, an attempt by us to have civil conversations focused on a wide range of political topics. Because if we can do it, so can you. Welcome back. It's time for the final part of our coverage of the first presidential debate and the vice presidential debate. If you haven't listened to the first two parts of our coverage, don't miss out. Go back and listen to those episodes first, and then come back for the finale. So if the presidential debate was a dumpster fire, this was a nicely toasted Cinnabon (laughs) coming out of the oven. Because it was just so nice by comparison. It really was. watch the vice presidential debate... You got to see two people who, although they differed in opinion, at points respectfully have a conversation about American politics and issues important to the American people. And it was very refreshing to watch. It was enjoyable. I feel like I got a good opportunity to learn a little more about the candidates. What did you think? I agree. It was ironic because... um... Susan, the moderator for this debate uh, at the last question, she said, okay, so this will be our last topic. And I looked up and I was like, what? Like, I couldn't believe that the debate was over because at no point had I had to get up and pace to let out some (laughs) extraneous energy. So it was it was quite refreshing to have candidates who, even though they did talk over and interrupt one another at points, were nowhere near the levels of childlike inappropriate behavior that the two presidential candidates displayed earlier on in the debate cycle, which is really sad, but it was, it was very nice to have a debate that did, that didn't make me want to pull my hair out, frankly. Yep. It was good. That being said, it was not without its own need for fact checking. So we will do the same thing we did for the presidential debate here. We're going to go through some of the statements made by each of the vice presidential candidates determine the validity of those statements, and sum up our thoughts. So I want to start with uh, a statement that Mike Pence made. Um, This was in reference to the Rose Garden event where uh, President Trump was nominating Judge Amy Coney Barrett to fill a Supreme Court vacancy. And he said it was an outdoor event to which all of our scientists regularly and routinely advised. Um, And so part of the event was outdoors, But the other half of the event uh, was indoors, during which President Trump, Amy Coney Barrett, and other high-ranking government officials, including senators and the like, uh, posed for photos close together without wearing masks. Public health officials have said that outdoor activities where people are wearing masks and have the room to social distance are less risky amid the pandemic than indoor events, where it's harder to keep people apart and there's less ventilation. Um, But the people that attended that White House event on September 26th for the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court did not practice social distancing, many did not wear masks, and part of the event was held indoors. So this statement is only partially true at best, and I think it's important to kind of correct that, especially considering the fact that the president himself, the first lady, and several senators and other individuals who attended the event in the days following this event all tested positive for coronavirus. Yikes. Yeah. Trump has a thing for open doors, man. If the door is open, it's an outdoor event, right? (laughs) Okay, so Mike Pence claimed, we have the cleanest air and land 
ever. Quite a bold claim. This was mostly true. Air quality has gotten better over the years. However, carbon dioxide emissions are rising under President Trump. Trump has also historically gutted the national park budgets and shrunk public lands to allow access for mining and drilling. All of this while donating his presidential salary to the National Park Service. Very confusing. Yeah, it's it's really unfortunate. There are some good articles we have in the show notes that talk a little bit more about Trump's kind of rocky relationship with the National Park Service, pun intended. But overall, I would say that Mike Pence claim that we have the cleanest air and land ever is like 90% true. The air is much better. There's a graph I found from the EPA showing that particulates of various sizes and some of the common pollutants have shrunk dramatically in the past. Overall, the air is cleaner. But carbon dioxide emissions are going back up under President Trump. Just a good thing to note. So the next claim that I wanted to look at was one that Mike Pence made where he said that uh, both Joe Biden and Kamala Harris support abortion all the way up to the moment of birth. Um, And that's not true. Uh, Both Biden and Harris have not said that they support abortion up to the moment of birth. They have said that they support Roe v. Wade, the landmark Supreme Court case that legalized abortion while giving states the ability to regulate it. Uh, Biden and Harris have said that they would like to codify Roe v. Wade into law and are against state laws that would violate the rulings in the case. Supporting Roe v. Wade is not the same as supporting abortion up until the moment of birth, and that comes from public health experts. And I got a quote here from a University of Florida law professor that said, because Roe allows states to prohibit abortion once a fetus is viable, agreement with the case does not indicate support for abortions up to the moment of birth. So you don't have to take it from what I interpret. You can take it from a law professor and what he interprets that to mean. So I just thought that was an important distinction to make because I know abortion is a, is a hot topic and a hot button issue for a lot of people. And I wanted to make sure that we clarified the candidates' opinions on that. Vice President Pence said that a Biden presidency would for sure raise taxes for most Americans. So, would repealing Trump's tax cuts actually affect American taxpayers? The answer is, of course. They received a tax cut with Trump's bill, but if it was repealed without any sort of modification, obviously losing those tax cuts would raise your tax bill. However, some people argue that Biden saying that he won't raise taxes for people making less than $400,000 a year means that he would only repeal those tax cuts for people making less than $400,000 a year. I could not find any source that said that. It's not clear what Biden means or what his exact plans are for people making less than $400,000 a year in relation to the Trump tax cuts. But he does have plans for the middle class, specifically about tax cuts. So it is possible that he can repeal the Trump tax cuts without raising taxes for people making less than $400,000 a year. That is theoretically possible. Kind of mucky how that will work. Biden does have a tax plan clearly laid out on his website, which you can see for yourself. Trump's tax policy also has some changes in mind if he gets reelected, which is also laid out in an article that you can read as well. So both of those are going to be in the show notes for you guys to check them out and make up your own mind. I know tax policy isn't really... Well, at least for me, it's not fun, but you can read it and make up your mind yourself. Yep. So the next claim that I wanted to uh, to talk about was something that Mike Pence said to Kamala Harris. 
Uh, He said, the fact that you continue to undermine public confidence in a vaccine, if a vaccine emerges during the Trump administration, I think is unconscionable. So I realize that this is kind of an opinion statement that he's making here, but I did kind of want to correct what the base of his statement says. Um, Harris said during the debate that she would not trust Trump's word that a vaccine is effective, insisting she would instead trust an expert opinion such as Dr. Anthony Fauci, a household name by this point, I imagine. I will be the first in line to take it absolutely, is what she said in regards to a vaccine that was backed by Dr. Fauci. Harris recently suggested that Trump would push a vaccine before it was ready to help his electoral chances. But Harris is also voicing concerns shared by many Americans. Last month, a poll from the Pew Research Center found that Americans are divided on whether or not to get a COVID vaccine, with 78% saying they're worried it will be approved too quickly. So while Mike Pence can is allowed to say that he thinks it is unconscionable, he kind of is misappropriating what she said. And if I'm being totally honest here, this is totally Emily's opinion, but I kind of agree with what Kamala said. If President Trump came out and said, we've got a vaccine and it's here and it's great, I wouldn't take it until I had heard from public health experts. But if Dr. Fauci says it's okay and other public health experts and the scientific community says that the vaccine's okay, then I'm going to get in line and do my part and try and help get this pandemic under control. But I don't know if I would trust the president's word alone. That's just my opinion again. I just wanted to make sure that we kind of put his words in context there. Yeah, that's a personal decision that every person will have to make for themselves. If they would trust the vaccine, if they would take it, whose word is reliable. I would hope that we would be be trusting doctors who have studied pandemics and vaccines. And uh, I agree. If Dr. Fauci says the vaccine's ready, that's good enough for me. Okay, so another issue that... um, both Senator Harris and Vice President Pence spoke on was the trade war. Senator Harris made a claim that during and as a result of the trade war with China, wherein President Trump imposed tariffs on certain kinds of manufactured goods, both imported and exported from the United States and China, Senator Harris claimed that the United States lost 300,000 manufacturing jobs, arguably as a result of the Trump presidency. This claim is not quite true, After the tariffs that Trump imposed on manufacturing-related goods, manufacturing jobs actually increased by 146,000 in the United States. However, Pence later said that manufacturing is still up, but that is not true. Since the pandemic, 164,000 manufacturing jobs have been lost, and we are arguably in a bit of an economic downturn, lots of jobs lost as a result of the pandemic. We'll speak a little bit more about that later, but I just wanted to clarify that in terms of the trade war, while there, I I wouldn't say that there are any winners in a trade war, there were not 300,000 manufacturing jobs lost as a result of the tariffs. The opposite was true. Definitely. And moving on to another Harris statement, um, Pertaining to job loss, she said, there are estimates that by the end of the term of this administration, they will have lost they being the Trump administration, more jobs than almost any other presidential administration. And as of now, um, unfortunately, Trump is looking at a loss of about 4 million jobs since he took office. And that indeed would give him one of the worst records on job creation going back to President Truman. But to be fair, no other president has faced a pandemic that cratered the economy. Mm -hmm. And no one can know for sure what any other president would have done or if they'd have fared any better. 
prior to the pandemic, if we want to look at his job numbers then, which I think is probably a little bit more accurate of a reading, if we look at unemployment gains in the first three years of Trump's presidency, Trump comes in fourth behind Presidents Bill Clinton, Jimmy Carter, and Lyndon Johnson. So he does much better. He just, you know, happened to be president in the middle of a global pandemic. So his numbers kind of tanked from then. So I wanted to put her statement in context there because he was doing a lot better before the pandemic came along, but then it did. And now it is not looking so good for him. But that would be more contributed to the pandemic. Yep. Another statement of Harris's that I wanted to touch on um, is she said, today they still don't have a plan. And she said this speaking in regards to the pandemic. And Biden said something similar during the first presidential debate that we've already talked about. However, the Trump administration does have a plan to distribute vaccines once they're produced. But experts have said that the administration has failed to produce a national testing plan or a national strategy to address the COVID pandemic overall. Um, the Trump administration maintains that its emphasis has been helping the economy reopen. However, it has fallen short in executing a coordinated response between the federal government and the states to combat the coronavirus. And at this time, more than 200,000 Americans have died from coronavirus. So those are definitely some staggering numbers. And as evidence to the previous statement, uh, job loss and economic downturn is abundant and it really isn't looking so good but he does have a little bit of a plan. It does not address all of the things that public health experts have stated that it needs to address, but there is a little bit of a plan. Right. Something I wanted to briefly touch on was Senator Harris's history as attorney general. President Pence has made some claims about her time in office that we couldn't really find any proof for. Her history as an attorney general has come under question previously, we found some interesting articles about that in the show notes, and I would encourage you to read up on that history for yourself and draw your own conclusions about Kamala Harris's time as attorney general, good or bad, for you know your own conclusions. Definitely. It's important to kind of look at that evidence yourself and, and don't just take the vice president's claims at face value. Speaking of vice presidents... <laughs> Vice Presidential hopeful Kamala Harris uh, told an interesting story about one of America's favorite presidents, uh, Abraham Lincoln. And I think this has been one of the most discussed and talked about moments from that debate. Uh, aside from the, what was it, maybe seven or eight minutes where there was a fly on Mike Pence's head. Oh, man. In which I have to admit, I, I paid probably too much attention to the fly and not what was coming out of his mouth. Um, but this moment is probably a close second. Um, so when talking about the Supreme Court, Harris stated that when Abraham Lincoln was up for re-election in 1864, Chief Justice Roger Taney died just 27 days before the election. And then Harris said, quote, Honest Abe said it's not the right thing to do. The American people deserve to make the decision about who will be the next president of the United States, and then that person can select who will serve for a lifetime on the highest court of our land. Close quote. So... This is, it's difficult to say if she was trying to attribute these exact words to Abraham Lincoln. If she was, that would be false. We do not have any direct quotations from Abraham Lincoln regarding his feelings about Chief Justice Roger Taney's death um, and its proximity to the election. Um, she was correct about the proximity of his death to the election. It was 27 days ahead of the election, the shortest span in history. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, by contrast, died 46 days before the current election. And Lincoln did not seek confirmation of his nominee to fill that vacancy until after the election. 
but there's no official record of what he thought or said about it or why he did it. You can draw your own conclusions based on what you know of Abraham Lincoln. He was indeed called Honest Abe, so this may have been his intention, but there is no record of what he thought or said about it. We don't have any official statements or documentation regarding exactly why he chose to do what he did. So while Senator Harris may be right in her assumption, we will never know for sure. So I think it is important to kind of clarify that because we have no record of Abraham Lincoln saying anything like that. We just know of the events in history and how they happened and how close together they happened. Um, she followed up her statement to say that uh, the American people are voting right now and it should be their decision about who will serve on this most important body for a lifetime. So I think she's made it very clear what the Biden campaign position is on this issue and that she doesn't think that Supreme Court nominees should be being heard right now in an election year. Uh, but we can't say that Abraham Lincoln thought the same thing because we simply just don't know. Trust me, I will I'll put that on my list of questions to ask when I get to heaven. <laughs> I have a really long list. Um, and assuming Abraham Lincoln's there, I'll try and find him and ask. But until then, we really won't know. Right. So, okay. I want to brace you for this. Oh, dear. There was a question that I felt was extremely important that went completely unanswered by both candidates. That's both impressive and terrifying. Yeah, I <laughs> I feel that this question was very important, and the question was basically this. Have you made a plan with your presidential candidate about what happens if their health fails? They both totally dodged this, and I just think this was pretty inexcusable. I really think the American people deserve an answer about this question, and obviously the Constitution has a clear line of transfer of power if something happens to a president it goes to the vice president so both of these candidates stand to become the next president of the united states if their respective presidential candidate you know heaven forbid one of them passes away but if that was the case we are very possibly looking at mike pence or kamala harris as a president of the united states so why is this a huge deal many presidents have gotten sick or in some way could no longer lead, and either of these men, if elected, will break the record for the oldest living president ever. Wow. Yeah. It's 2020. Yeah. Donald Trump was 70 at the start of his presidency, and he will be 74 if he's reelected. Joe Biden is 77, and by the time he left office, if he were elected, he would be 81 years old. Wow. The oldest president in history. I don't think that health issues disqualify a president. Roosevelt had polio, he did an excellent job, but to hide that information from the public is wrong, and to not have a plan is reckless, and takes away confidence from both sides. Now, I looked a bit into the precedent of the kind of health information that presidential candidates release before their campaigns, and frankly, it's kind of disappointing there is no law enforcing it. Um, there's nothing that says they have to release any specific information, and it's basically just up to the candidate what they feel like sharing. However, there is a historical precedent about releasing health information like weight, blood pressure, heart rate, any serious medical problems, exercise habits, healthy habits that they have, and President Trump hasn't chosen to disclose very specific detailed information like that. I think this is important because President Trump just gone through having COVID-19, we know that there might be long-lasting health effects related to the coronavirus that we just 
don't know about because it's such a new thing. We are still studying the long-term effects, and I feel like his, his health needs to be closely monitored to make sure that he is still fit to lead the country. And in the case of President Biden, unfortunately, he has had a history of brain aneurysms, one of which actually bled into his brain. I know not a lot of people might know about that. Uh, That's part of the information that he released medically relating to his campaign. So there is a precedent on both sides of some potential health issues that I think are prevalent enough that the question of what should I as vice president do if my presidential candidate has a health problem in the very near future is a question that the United States populace deserves an answer to. And I was very disappointed that they both completely dodged this question. I agree. Neither Vice President Biden nor President Trump are spring chickens. And they both have unfortunately had a history um, with some health issues. Um, It would have been great to get a more solid answer on this from both candidates. And I think it would have calmed some fears that people have been worried about. I definitely think that those implications need to be thought out and discussed. And at the very least, hopefully this this question maybe prompted the vice presidential candidates to turn around and take that back to their campaigns and have a better answer for when hopefully uh, the question comes up again, as I'm sure it will, as, as both candidates age and as we get closer to the election. But we didn't really get any answer of, of any sort from either candidate. They both rather artfully sort of dodged and weaved around that, which was very unfortunate. Yeah. Um, Another question that didn't really get a direct answer, at least from one side, was if President Trump loses the re-election, will there be a peaceful transition of power? Neither side really promised to be peaceful. I will say that Vice President Pence went way out of his way to dodge this question and kind of furthered some dangerous rhetoric about resisting the results of the election if President Trump loses. Again, that was an opportunity for him to condemn any of those thoughts that he did not take. When asked about a peaceful transition of power, Mike said, We have so many people on our side. We will win and we won't let them subvert our democracy. That does not promise a peaceful transition of power. And it's disappointing that he did not take the opportunity to assure that the voting public would decide the president, not the president's own special interests. I agree. And I think that's really important. And so far in the history of our country, we haven't really had a problem with this. There's always been a peaceful transition of power. And I think that's part of what makes America so special is that at the end of their four-year term, presidents, you know, pack up their bags and wave goodbye and get on Air Force One and and they leave. They leave the House, the White House, uh, as they found it. And and they let the next president come right on in and, and get started working from day one. And I think that's one of my favorite things about this country is is that Every election cycle, every term, every time uh, a senator has run his course and is done or a representative is is done with her term, she steps aside and lets the new person in. And that is true for um, all of the elected officials and elected offices throughout this entire country. And I don't feel that the presidency should be any different from any of those other elected offices because this is how democracy works and how it functions. And we need people to commit to peaceful transitions of power for that system to continue to function. Exactly. And Senator Harris's answer here, while not perfect, was a little more satisfying. She basically just said, you know, when asked if President Trump loses, what will you do if he does not promise a peaceful transition of power? Her answer was along the lines of the public will decide and the people have the power and the voters will ultimately make the decision of who is the next president of the United States. 
That's how it should be. That's how it will be. And ultimately, it is up to us, the voting public, to make sure that our voice is heard. I want to close by saying this. Don't let people intimidate you out of voting. If you don't speak up for yourself, someone else will, and your voice and interests will be replaced by someone that does not have your best interest at heart. I know that the president chose to not condemn white supremacists and that some of those groups have chosen to see the president's remarks as a call to action. I really hope they do not show up armed and intimidating people on election day out of voting. That would be a huge miscarriage of the electoral process and people have a right to vote. You listening to this have a right to vote. And I want to encourage you to not let those people intimidate you. Don't be afraid to show up to the poll and cast your vote. Hopefully you're already registered, but it's important to follow through. We're in the home stretch now. Wherever your political interests lie, show up and vote. I couldn't agree more with everything that you just said. It is so, 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 so important to vote. I know we really pushed getting registered and talked about some of the merits of vote by mail in our last episode. And All of that's great and fine and dandy, but if you don't show up on election day or you don't turn in your ballot, then none of that matters. So please vote. Please use your voice. Exercise your rights. It's so important. And I know that it may have been discouraging to watch these debates and to see, quite frankly, um, really disappointing behavior from the candidates and to see them argue like children. And that was really sad and kind of a low moment for me. And I imagine it might have been for other people. But as hard as that was to watch and to sit through, or in my case, pace through, um, that doesn't deter me from voting, from wanting to have my voice heard and to be counted among my fellow patriots and to be included in this electoral process and to help shape the future of our country. It's so, so, so important. So please, no matter how the debates made you feel or who you thought won or how you thought anybody did or what you thought of the fly on Mike Pence's head, please just vote. It's so important. And if you take nothing else from this whole thing, it's that no matter what kind of debacle the presidential debates or vice presidential debates turn into, you should vote. All right. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. We want to let you know if you have any questions about elections, the voting process, or anything that we have discussed today that wasn't clear, please let us know. We'll be happy to answer your questions. And we look forward to releasing more content related to U.S. politics, hopefully in a way that will empower you to be a better voter. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye.